0: If you have your Bible with you or you'd like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to the gospel according to Mark chapter 12, New Testament book of Mark chapter 12, this morning we are reading verse 28 through verse 37. If you're a guest with us, we're working our way through this gospel, watching Jesus as our king thinking about what it means to live in his kingdom, to be a part of his family. I'm going to spend maybe one more week in this chapter, and then i want to give you a little bit of a heads-up what we're going to do this summer, maybe try to pique your interest and keep you coming back in the midst of all of those vacations. Uh, but for the three weeks, first three weeks in June, we're going to spend our time in Mark chapter 13, watching Jesus preach on the end times. So that should be fun. And I'm sure plenty of questions and interest in that subject. So come spend June thinking about the end of the world. And then in July and August, we're going to pause for a moment and uh, have a summer series on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, And just think about what it looks like to live in the spirit. And then once the school year starts back, we'll jump back into Mark and we'll be right front and center for the cross and the resurrection uh, as we launch back into the school year. So I hope that uh, piques your interest, keeps you coming back this summer. It's going to be a good time uh, learning from the Lord and his word. But today we're in Mark chapter 12. There's been a series of traps for Jesus. This is the last one, the legal trap. With all that in mind, Let's read God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Mark writes, One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, that's Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. I've been a little bit distracted this morning, more so than a normal Sunday, because I have been keeping one eye on the Monaco Grand Prix. See, my family has been, become entranced with Formula One racing this year. Formula One is the fastest growing sport in terms of interest in the United States of America right now, mostly because of a Netflix documentary that is not safe for your kids, just a heads up. But everyone is interested in these fast-flying race car drivers as they veer around the turns and try to pass each other for the championship wreath this morning. What's interesting is in Formula One, the most prestigious racing in the world, there are only 20 spots in the racing series. Only 20 individuals in the entire globe get to participate in this glorious race. You would think, at least I did on the front end as I emerged into this world, that the 20 drivers would have to be the most talented drivers in the world, that they would have to have the most skill behind the wheel. But in fact, it's not all about talent. It's a lot about money, and it's a lot about your network and your ability to promote the brand. Oftentimes, the the best drivers in the world are are dismissed so that somebody a little prettier behind the camera can be behind the wheel, or somebody in the know can be behind the wheel. In particular, there's a couple of drivers. The only reason they're there, one of the 20 spots, is because their dads are billionaires and own the team. It's kind of like getting a job right? What do they always say? It's not what you know, it's who you know. I mean, we see that all over our our society. You're trying to get into college, you're trying to get that first job, you're trying to get your foot in the door. It's not always about how much talent you got or what's on your resume. Often, it's who's in your network. What kind of relationships do you have? And friends, that is a good glimpse into what's going on here and a good glimpse into the kingdom of God. You might go to Sunday school all the time. You might have all the skill in the world and all the Bible knowledge you want. But that is not the way the kingdom works. Brothers and sisters, the most important thing you can know is not an answer. It's a person. The most important thing you can take away any Sunday morning you show up to church is not a Bible verse, is not a fact, it's not a story. It is the Son of God. He is the point. He is the most important point of all. I want to show you this walking through such a familiar passage. I want to show you three points in this conversation. The first one I want to look at with you, is the unsurprising. The things that we already know probably this morning. Look at verses 28 to 31 and see the unsurprising. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I don't know about you, but I have spent a lot of time on church websites. And I have seen all that the churches in... the world have to offer in terms of their vision and what they want to be about. And if you do any kind of browsing, you are going to run into the same vision over and over and over and over again. Love God, love people, make disciples. And that's a great vision, not very creative, and that is okay. It is totally unsurprising. That's actually the exact vision Jesus basically gives here, love God, love people. His answer, even in that day, is not really new. If you study Jewish history, many Jewish philosophers and scribes said these were the most important principles. But what Jesus's answer does that is unique is he links specific Old Testament scriptures together that had never been linked before. The ideas were there, but Jesus goes to the Word and connects the dots. The first passage that he brings up in this unsurprising answer is Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 to 5. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mights. I preached this verse for New Year's and challenged you to major on the majors, to make the most important principle the driving force of your life, of your year. Okay, we're six months in, almost exactly, right here in in the beginning of summer. Let's reflect. Are you majoring on the majors? How well this spring have you been loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Just as by way of a reminder, God deserves a comprehensive love, a total devotion, an all-encompassing life for his glory. God is saying, I want all of who you are all of the time in all that you do. The second command comes from Leviticus 19, verse 18. When you read the Bible chapter by chapter, you start the new year off and you want to read the whole Bible. You do a pretty good job in Genesis, you get through Exodus, and then what happens? But notice, Jesus says the second most important command is in Leviticus. So next time you try that, don't skip it. Leviticus is important. Leviticus 19 verse 18, Moses writes, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there are over 600 commands. 600 laws that Israel was supposed to follow. Ten, obviously, have a unique place and priority in the life of Israel. Jesus is asked, what is the one fundamental law? Out of all the 600, what is the one thing we need to keep in mind? And what does Jesus do? He doesn't answer with one. Jesus says the one founding principle is found in two different places. There's two. One is more important than the other. One is first. One is second. They're not equal. Listen, they are codependent. They are bound together. Jesus is saying, you cannot do one without the other. Oh, but friends, that is exactly how we try to live Each one of us all throughout the world leans one way or the other between the vertical and horizontal, and God is saying that you cannot only pick one. If you want to obey the first, you have to obey the second. Brothers and sisters, 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And the only way you can obey the second is if you obey the first. Same chapter, 1 John 4 verse 19. John says, we love because he first loved us. If you didn't have that first love with God, we wouldn't be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's why James Edwards writes, it takes both commands to realize the one will of God. This is the message, brothers and sisters, as unsurprising as love God, love people is, this is the message we need. We need them both. We must do them both to do any of them at all. Friends, many in the world think that they are championing and promoting a message of love. And they are promoting their message of love through ways that do not submit to the Lord. They are ignoring the vertical and the commands of God in order to promote this horizontal love that is contradictory to God's Word. You cannot do that. But that's not necessarily the message this room, I believe, needs to hear. Is there anyone in this room that would dare to say, I'm not trying to love God with all my heart, or that I don't want to love the Lord with all my soul, mind, and strength? I think the reason that you're here is because that you want to follow that first command. But let me ask, friend, how well are we actually doing on the second? How well have we ever done on the second? John says, if you can't do the second, you can never do the first. What does love for your neighbor look like? Let's go to that famous chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7. Paul says, love is patient to your neighbor. Love is kind to your neighbor. Love does not envy your neighbor or boast against your neighbor. Love is not arrogant or rude toward your neighbor. It does not insist on its own way against your neighbor. Love is not irritable or resentful against your neighbor. And it does not rejoice at wrongdoing by your neighbor, but rejoices with the truth about your neighbor. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things with and for your neighbor. Friends, it's not just a cute passage about love that should make you feel warm and fuzzy. And it does not only relate to your marriages or your kids. How well does that define the way you interact with your neighbor? And may I remind you based on Jesus's definition your neighbor is everyone including your enemy. I'd like to spend a lot more time on that but we must move on. The second point in this conversation I want you to see is the surprising Jesus jukes away from the unsurprising section and we see some things that should catch us off guard. I wonder if we've seen them before. Verses 32 to 34, Mark writes, the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The first thing that's surprising is this friendship, this mutual getting along. I don't know what the word for that is. But these two aren't supposed to like each other. The closest thing that I could think of, maybe I had writer's block on this one, I don't know, it's been a minute, is the fox and the hound from old Walt Disney. You know, if you are familiar with that one? A fox and a hound, not supposed to get along. The hound's supposed to chase that fox, tear it from limb to limb. But you know that cute little movie, They're Best Friends. That's exactly like or whatever other illustration you could think of on your own time, Jesus and the scribe. You've been watching them, Mark, you know. The scribes do not like Jesus. They give him a hard time about everything. They want to know why he's not so buttoned up and why he's not washing his hands and acting the right way. And Jesus, if he gives anybody a hard time, it's these religious leaders. He just loves jabbing them with his theological truth but all of a sudden we have this scribe and Jesus patting each other on the back, getting cozy. How easy, friends, just think for a minute. How easy would it have been for this scribe in the middle of this chapter where everybody's going after Jesus trying to trap him, how easy would it have been for this guy to just go along for the ride and to, and to play it safe? Every compliment he gives jesus he, he is isolating himself from everything he knows and all of his friends and all of his contemporaries he 's exposing himself as being close to Jesus here. If he just towed the party line if if he just followed the group, no matter what it would be safe. But in front of all of his peers, he sees the good in his political enemy and endorses Jesus. I'm just going to pause for a moment and say it would be refreshing if we had some scribes like this today who are willing to buck the party line and to use their listening ears and their listening heart to see the good in the person across the room. I'm going to move away from that. But this guy seems to get it. He goes so far as to say that if you follow Jesus' advice and love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, it would be better than any sacrifice. Now, notice how serious that is. A Jewish leader is saying and is willing to minimize the entire structure and system of worship. I mean, his life, his, his entire life is built on this regulated worship and the fact that people in Israel would follow it. That's the only way he's he's surviving. And he's willing to tear it all down and to say, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that doesn't even matter. This guy is putting his neck out there. But it's not really new. As far back as 1 Samuel Fifteen twenty two, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. What, what? Samuel's saying what the, the scribe is getting is that it's one thing to know your religion, it's one thing to know your history books, it's one thing to know your Bible trivia, and it's another to believe it, to confess it, and to live it. Friends, we gotta hear it. Baptists, we gotta hear it. People who've been in church, we need to hear it. Your religion doesn't do anything for God. Your forms... Your tradition, your structure makes you no better than any other denomination or any other label or any other person with their different forms or structures or rituals or any of that. None of it matters. What matters is if you know the person, if you have the faith, not the form, but we have developed over time a priority of form. We'd rather see somebody who knows how to toe the line and follow the rules than someone who really knows the person. And we can fake the form. That's easy. We can put on a show, be religious, but you can't fake knowing the person. But the only thing that's more surprising than this and what the scribe confesses is Jesus' response. You've got to see this. Jesus is going to back me up. Verse 34, Jesus saw... That the scribe answered wisely, and Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Stick with me for a minute. If you're coming to my home where I grew up from the east, and you're driving towards Memphis from the east, you don't see the first sign for Collierville, Tennessee until 25 miles away from my house. Now, just imagine you drive all day long. You're trying to get to your destination, and you see that first sign. I've, I've been there so many times. I've had this conversation so many times. It's easy. Someone sees the sign and says, what? We're here. We made it. Collierville, Tennessee is right here. We're home. We're here. Are we? No, 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 no. As the driver, you got a kid in the back, you know, hey, we still got 30 minutes. You need to just forget that talk. We are not here. Keep your seatbelt on. We've still got a ways to go. You are not very far. Now, that's what Jesus said to this guy. So Think about it. This scribe has said the most important law is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor. And unlike any Jewish scribe or any Jewish religious leader, he's willing to listen to Jesus and give him the benefit of the doubt. And Jesus says, you are not home yet. You are close, but you're not in the kingdom. You are 25 miles away from home, but you're not home yet. Mark doesn't tell us if he ever made it home. We're left to wonder. As Mark Strauss writes, that maybe what's happening here is, is Mark's leaving a cliffhanger to invite you to ask the same question about yourself. Have you made it all the way to the exit sign where you've seen where the kingdom is, but you haven't quite made it home? You haven't made it to your destination where you know the Lord yourself. If the scribe understood so much, why did did Jesus say he wasn't far? Well, in order to understand that, we're going to bring in the next passage. And after the the unsurprising and the surprising, I want you to see what's missing. Because as good of an answer as Jesus gave and this man gave, there's something missing. Do you know What the variable is, let's look at verses 35 to 37 as Jesus drops a hint. As Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Just think about this context. This is where all of these debates are going. The Pharisees try to trap Jesus on politics and ask him about those taxes. Doesn't work. Jesus threads the middle, threads threads the trap and gives the answer that they weren't expecting. The Sadducees try to trap Jesus on theology and ask him about the resurrection and angels and all that weird stuff about marriage, and Jesus uses Scripture to show them they have no idea what they're talking about. And then the scribe asks the question about the law and what's the most important law I've got, and Jesus, out of all 600 possibilities, gives the exact answer that no one can dispute. And then Jesus, after he has proven his wisdom and his authority over every group and every question, asks the question that no one can answer. He doesn't ask about politics. He doesn't ask about theology. He doesn't ask about the law. He asks about the Messiah. And only the second time in the book, he uses the word Christ to ask about the one that the Jewish leaders we're waiting for and hoping for. And he quotes Psalm 110, this verse from David in the Psalms where David talks about his Lord. And Jesus asked them about that. See, back in that day, ancestry was king. You looked up to your family tree. And to to that day, if you belong to the line of David, that was a major deal, royalty. But you never looked, down, looked up to your descendants. Nobody honored their kids and grandkids. You honored the people who came before you. And so Jesus said, all right, you know this. So why is David worshiping one of his great, great, great grandkids? Why is David calling one of his descendants Master, Adonai, Lord. Why is David calling one of his children his sovereign? That makes no sense. Jesus, friends, listen, is dropping a hint to reveal who he is. We have enough information to answer this question that they could not answer. Earlier that week, On Sunday, Jesus rides into the city on a donkey and he lets people sing this verse. Mark chapter 11, verse 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus has let them sing a salvation song that claims for himself the throne of David. And then in just a few days' time, in Mark chapter 14, Verses 61 to 62, the high priest asks him, are you the Christ? Same term, the son of the blessed. And Jesus said, I am. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is showing us what is missing in this scribe's answer. It's not the love of God and it's not the love of neighbor. It is the son of God. It doesn't matter if you obey the first command. It doesn't matter if you obey the second command if you do not know the commander. That is what the scribe is missing. That is the legal trap for you and me and for this scribe, brothers and sisters. You can try to obey all 600 laws and even be successful, but the best you ever do is not be far off. From the kingdom. Greater than the greatest laws of God is the Son of God, the lawgiver, the one who kept the law perfectly in our place. John 14 verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friend, I don't know what you've been told I don't know what you have been led to believe. But getting into heaven isn't a matter of passing a Sunday school test. It's not a matter of knowing a lot of good stuff about Jesus or even believing that he's a good person or even believing that he's from God. It is a matter of knowing Jesus himself as your God and your king. He came to this world because you could not pass the test. You were trapped by the law in your disobedience, unable to fulfill its demands. The law was given to show your inability and your need for a Savior. And Jesus provided the need you had for a Savior by meeting the law perfectly as a man and dying on the cross as God in your place as your substitute, so that God the Father could take all the punishment for your disobedience and lay it down on the shoulders of Christ and annihilate the penalty and punishment that you deserved. And because Jesus was perfect in his obedience to the law, God rose him from the grave on the third day, like Hosea prophesied. And Jesus announces to you and me that the way home, the exit off the road of obedience to the law is not through performance, but through faith. Repent and believe in the gospel. Turn to Jesus Christ. He will put his righteousness in your heart, in your accounts, so that when God sees you, you will be holy and blameless and righteous. 2 Timothy chap- chapter 2 verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Brothers and sisters, I believe that several of us are there in Christ. We remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. We believe in that gospel and what God promises is that means the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to perform the law itself, to become more and more like Christ and more and more obedient, to live in his righteousness so that we don't ignore those two great commands, love God and love neighbor. In fact, now that we have Jesus Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit is our counselor, we are now able to love God and love our neighbor like we never have before. And so we do these things not to earn our spot into the kingdom, but because Jesus has secured it already. So friend, if you know the person, hear the law of God for us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 21. The commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Friends, none of that should be surprising. But unfortunately, in our confession that we love God, that love is missing. May we not just be children of God who talk about love. But with the love of God in our hearts, may we prove who we are and that we belong to him. And love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And may we, brothers and sisters, love our neighbor as ourselves. Let us pray.